All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show Podcast. That's right. This is the extension of my YouTube channel where we can get into the nerdy details with some experts. We got a great build show for you today, guys. We're talking pressure-treated wood today. Everything you need to know and understand to buy a product that's going to last. And I've got with me a really cool expert. Today's build show, all about exterior wood and making sure you do it right. From the Rockwell Studios here in Austin, Texas, let's get going. Hi, my friends. I'm here with Josh Roth. Josh, thank you for joining me here in the studios today. Josh has come all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, Josh, we actually just shot a great build show, a short version, you know, probably eight to 10 minutes uh, talking about pressurated wood and what builders need to know. But this is our time to go a little bit long and a little bit deep. Uh, but before we get into that, if you wouldn't mind, give us a quick uh, background. You've got a pretty good uh, background in the building world. Tell us what you've done uh, in the past, Josh. Sure, sure. So I was a general contractor for 15 years, licensed in the state of Georgia. And then after that, I moved on into the municipal side of things where I was a building official uh, for almost 10 years. I worked for several different uh, municipalities in the metro Atlanta area. Uh, had the uh, fun times of being able to start up new cities, which was kind of interesting. Wow. So, yeah, I got a lot of experience. And then I've been with uh, Womanized for a couple of years now. Okay, so when I say the word womanized, uh, it's a really good synonym for pressure. And in fact, mm -hmm. when I started in the business, I remember people saying things to me like, hey, Matt, go to the store and get, uh, you know, 50 womanized two by fours for this project. Uh, it's a ubiquitous, very old uh, brand. In fact, that brand's been in the marketplace for a long, like a hundred years now, right? Yeah, it's been around for a long time. Uh, but it is basically a version of uh, the chemical, or it is not a version. It is a chemical treatment that other companies are buying from you guys to make pressure-treated wood, correct? Yeah, so we make the chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, they buy them from us, take them to their treating plant, and they'll source some lumber. Um, from the sawmill and then they put the two together in a capsule and put some pressure on it and out comes some pressure treated wood so the same lumber that you might use to frame a house you know for instance this is uh i've got in my hand here some southern yellow pine that's been pressure treated this would be the same southern yellow pine that we don't use that for studs typically but we might use that for rafters in my marketplace or maybe joists same exact wood uh it's just some of it's going out uh, kiln dried maybe to a job site and others of it is going to uh, a pressure treater, right? That's correct. And when they do that, talk to me about what that pressure treating process looks like. You mentioned it goes into a capsule and there actually is pressure. How much pressure are we talking about? So it depends. The building code says it's a minimum of 50 PSI. So mm -hmm. there's at least that amount in there. Um, depending on the plant, there's different ways that they uh, do that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, different methods. Uh, one's called a modified method, full cell. There's just different types uh, of methods that they use. And it depends on the treating, uh, the treater, mm -hmm. uh, what they prefer, what they feel works best for them with that product. Got so, it. But it's pretty interesting. You, um, They source uh, their lumber from the sawmill. Um, and it would come straight to them. Uh, they take it off the truck, uh, then they'll load it back up, 
on it usually it looks like a rail car a mm-hmm. uh, small rail car and they'll slide it into a large tube uh, several units of material and then they go through that pressure treating process and then it comes out uh, and once it comes out it sits for a little bit and then they band it up ship it on uh, or if you decide you want to pay a little extra uh, they can kiln dry it for you. Ah, see, this is something I don't think everybody knows about, Josh. So the lumber that you're finding typically at the yard, we think of as being heavier lumber. That's because it's not been kiln dried after the process. Uh, is it kiln dried before the process? And yes. then it gets, okay. So, yes, it is. So this yellow pine that we might have in the South, this was first kiln dried then pressure treated and then sent directly to you know the lumber yard where i'm buying it but it could be kill dried again and what's the benefit of doing that uh, the benefits are if you want that finish finished product right mm-hmm. then and there uh, when it's delivered uh, some uh, architects will spec it that way uh, maybe they want to put a certain stain or a certain coating on top of it uh, that requires it to be dry um, before they do that. Otherwise, you have the tried and true method of put it out there and let it sit for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days till mm-hmm. it gets dry. And then you can put whatever uh, coating you want to after that. Yeah. And typically when it's drying, I think of uh, some amount of shrinkage happening as well. You know, if, yes. if you put that wet pressure down on a deck uh, and you space it with a nail's width, let's say, uh, it's going to, that gap's going to grow by about 2x. Uh, depending on what deck board you're using, of course, right? Yep, that's correct. If you look in the instructions, uh, we even mentioned that in instructions whenever you're building a deck uh, in our deck guide, hey, you want to push those boards really close if they're really wet because Mm -hmm. they are going to shrink a little bit. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so in the uh, YouTube video that we shot, we kind of went through a little bit of this uh, AWPA document. That's the American Wood Preservative Associate or Protection Association. And you turned me on to this. I honestly didn't fully understand this before we started talking about this video. And in this document, there's different use categories for pressure treated. And most pressure treated falls under kind of two use categories, above ground use and ground contact use. Talk me through those two categories and talk me through the categories within those categories. Okay, so you've got two main, as you mentioned. Um, Above ground uh, is going to be for applications like uh, handrails Mm -hmm. on your deck. Uh, Maybe it is in a location that's not going to be heavily wet, uh, has good airflow. Um, So that's your atypical area is maybe deck boards on Mm -hmm. a raised deck. Yep. Um, that's appropriate. Uh, but that again, that um, above ground can be a little misleading because sometimes we feel like, oh, well, if it's it's one inch, it's above ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to look at the definitions of it. And AWPA does that. They provide those definitions for us. And it's six inches uh, to be considered that. Gotcha. Uh, so you don't want to put that um, that type in an area where it's going to be less than six inches. Yeah. And and ultimately they're looking, if it's above ground, they're looking to make sure that wood's going to be able to dry when it gets wet. Right. Because if wood uh, gets wet and dries, no problem. But if wood gets wet and stays wet, that's when uh, fungal and the decay and all those other things, those other uh, natural 
biological actions happen, which break down that wood just like it would if it fell in the forest. Right. That, that's right. So it takes a little more treatment to be able to handle those situations. There's a uh, there's a famous building scientist that I uh, uh, kind of consume all of his content. His name is David Nicastro, and he says if it can't dry, it's going to die. Uh, and that's true for decks. Absolutely. If you have a deck that has leaves on top of it all the time, that's getting uh, you know hit with the sprinklers every morning at 2 a.m., uh, it's definitely not going to last. That's right. These ground decks, a lot of people don't realize, well, it's just sitting on the ground, so it should be okay. Mm. But uh, there's no airflow usually uh, yep. on those. And a lot of times you'll see some deterioration of the actual decking boards on mm. top because they were um, intended to be above grade. Yeah, above grade. And in that specific application, it's not the correct use. Right. So. right. It's not truly meeting the definition of above grade. Really. That's right. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, and that is considered UC3. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you if you watch my YouTube video, I get into the kind of nerdy details. I know if you're listening, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to see this, but the end tag on lumber has a lot of information, but in real fine print, you're going to see an AWPA uh, kind of moniker on there. That's the American Wood Preservation Association. And then you're going to see UC, Usage Case, and then if it's a three, that means above grade. If it's a four, UC4, that means ground contact. Talk us through the ground contact. Okay, so we've got ground top contact at 4A, and that is going to be general use. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can think about, hey, if I just need a, a piece of pressure-treated wood that's going to be in contact with the ground, um, building a deck or something like that, it's your general use type. Um you can always move up from there. A lot of structural components are required to be a 4B, mm-hmm. which is heavy duty. Heavy duty use. And you also have a one more step up from there, which is uh, severe duty. And you have to pick and choose which components should be treated uh, to which use category. Uh, we get a lot of calls. I get a lot of calls from architects and engineers, and they're asking, hey, how can we make sure that we put the right wood and the right chemical in this application? Yep. And, hey, that's the first thing we go to is, we have, okay, well, let's go look at what your use category is. Find the base use category, and if you want to make it even better than that, then move up to the next yeah. uh, use category. Now, let me read. Let me take a second to read this use category straight from their um, AWPA. Um, what would this be considered? Their uh, um, standard, I guess, yeah, is that, what it's called. Yeah, that's in the first part of the book. They actually will let you download that for free mm-hmm. uh, so that you can understand what those use categories are on their website. Yeah, this is um, very helpful. So UC4A ground contact says wood and wood-based materials used in contact with the ground, fresh water, or other situations favorable to deterioration. Examples are round, half-round, or quarter-round fence posts, round deck posts, round guardrail posts, and utility poles located in regions of low natural potential for wood decay and insect attack. Now, there's two things I want to question on. I want to ask you here. This is, again, this is general use. This is the basic one. This is kind of the ones that you're going to find when you go to the shelf and see ground contact. It says that these could be in contact with fresh water, meaning non-salt water, and it's interesting that it specifically mentions all these round examples. 
I'm, I'm curious on those two fronts with you. What's your experience with that and where do you think they're going with that? We do a lot with round post. Um, that's a pretty large market and obviously poles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got like telephone utility poles, poles, utility poles. Yeah. So those are round in nature. And I guess that's why they have decided to put that language in there. Gotcha. But this, but um, a four by four that's cut square is under the same category. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, the only difference uh, with a just maybe a best practice would be um, is to actually round off the top if it's a fence post. Ah. Um, so if it's going to be out there, if, if you'll notice, a lot of times you'll see next to the interstate uh, where they use wood posts mm-hmm. to mount the fences, they always put a cap on top. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that either put a cap or if you just put a slant on the post, if it's a square post. Don't um, leave it flat. Yeah, don't leave it flat because what's going to happen if it's flat? The center is going to decay and then you're going to accelerate the deterioration. Exactly, exactly. So it's simple things, Mm -hmm. you know, choosing the right amount of chemical, the right use, and then some very simple things. Hey, treat the end cuts. Um, That's something that probably goes undone by many <laughs> man we we gotta go into end cuts but one last question before we go into yeah, end cuts yeah. could you use this wood in a freshwater dock i guess yes technically you could um as long as it's freshwater right um and what so, you'll, so what, a pond you could yeah. use it for but I, I like how you said technically yes and we're going to get into that in a second but let's let's uh come back to that when we get to b First, let's talk about end cuts because yeah. that is a super important thing that you jump into and I, I cut you off on. So talk to me about end cuts and what we need to know about end cuts. So here's a four by four in my hand. That's a ground contact. This is a 4A general use. Mm-hmm. This is the factory side. And by the way, every uh, piece of pressure that comes in any location should have a sticker on it so that you can see what type it is. But in the field, we make cuts on our pressure Talk to me about what we need to do with those cuts and where we should and shouldn't use those cut ends. All right. So you're supposed to, by the building code and by AWPA and by the manufacturer's directions, Mm -hmm. uh, you're supposed to code it. Um, You can buy the sometimes at your big box stores. Most of the time, you're probably going to have to order it. Mm -hmm. Um, The SKU doesn't sell a lot because people don't realize that they need to do that. Yeah, or they realize it, but they just don't do it. Yeah. So it's a, but it's a very important part of the process because when you take a piece of treated wood and you look at it and you look at this end, I mean, this end looks great. Nice and green. Nice, very, very green. Hey, you cut this, it's still green. But, but it's, it's not more, quite as green as yeah, this. Yeah, it's a little more whitish. Yeah, you got to think about it. Whenever it's in that tube and the pressure's coming around, mm-hmm. it's going to be more here than it is in the very dead center. Yeah, so in the dead center. Yep. You got to. That's why we want to just put a little bit of. Tra- it doesn't take that much. It's not expensive. Paintbrush. Have the can right there. As soon as you cut it, wipe it on it. And then you can continue on. So I've seen, uh, in fact, in my video, we talked about Rust-Oleum's Copper Coat, um, which uh, is about 20 bucks on Amazon, available in two days. But unfortunately, as I was going to make the video, I called around to a bunch of places, my uh, local kind of home centers, even my my lumber yard. No one had it in stock, which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, but you can get it in two days from Amazon. How different is that from the chemicals that you're using to make this womanized? It's pretty much the same thing. Is that right? Okay, real darn similar. Yeah. And and in the past, I've always thought 
that I needed to actually soak this overnight in a pool of that so it would wick up. Is that necessary or could it just be painted on? Uh, it can just be painted on. It's not really necessary. The way the copper works, um, it has to be forced into the wood. Mm -hmm. um, so just having it sit in, um, it's not necessarily going to wick up uh, in there like you could think of other uh, types of chemicals. Um, gotcha. There's other products that they do wick up very well. Mm -hmm. um, but for pressure treated wood and the copper, it's got to be forced inside. Yeah, makes sense. And then lastly, I would tell you, um, or I would tell any of my contractor buddies, talk to your carpenters about always, like we said, putting that uh, factory end down. So if you're building a fence post, if you're putting these, even if you're putting these on a Simpson post base mm -hmm. uh, on top of concrete, put the factory end down. And actually that does bring up a really good point. You know, anytime you could not bury that wood, you're going to be better off. You know, for instance, um, my in-laws uh, bought a lake house, I remember, 15, 20 years ago, and I visited. And they had cedar posts that were right on top of, uh, untreated cedar posts, right on top of slash buried in uh, some concrete piers. Well, those things were already on their way to rotting, and they were two or three years old. Uh, it wasn't long before they were totally gone. So the difference between, uh, you know, burying this post in the ground, burying this post in cement, or pouring a footing, having a little a footing come up above the ground by two or three inches, maybe even making some slope on there so water will run off, then putting a metal post base, and then this post on top means that this is going to last two or three times longer, correct? Yeah, the key is, is that the base, um, keeping it, I'll give you an example. So whenever you put that post base down, you've got that inch, mm -hmm. one inch offset. Yep guess what? That's in the code. And there's a reason why it's in the code is because of how the performance is. Yep. Um, so yes, if you take that wood and you stick it right down uh, on that piece of concrete without any slope, what are we going to have? We have that same water. That pooling. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what we try to stay away from. Now, if you would bury the post, that's okay too. It's okay for it to be buried. Um, but it's in a best case scenario, if, if I was building my own personal deck, mm -hmm. um, I like, hey, monotube, put it in the ground, sonotube. bring it up, sonotube, six inches up, mm -hmm. put a post base on it, and then run it yeah. up. And then, yes, yeah. you're correct. That is the best method. Yes, there's other ways to do it. Yep. Yes, they're okay to do, but if you want to talk about what's probably the best appropriate way to do it, that is. Got it. All right, so let's go to those higher use cases now. So we were at UC4A before. That's our yep. general uh, general use ground contact. And in fact, this tag happens to say on it, ground contact general use, which is nice. I appreciate them doing that. But there is a UC4B and even a UC4C. Talk to me about those two and, and what we need to know about those two. So the UC4B is going to be a heavier uh, treatment. Uh, basically, it has more retention mm -hmm. in it, which is more chemical. Okay. Um, so it has to have a greater amount of that chemical inside uh, for it to have that designation uh, as a 4B. Um, so, and I think you could take what what the Z 4B. So what 4B. Are some of the let me, let me read the uh, the actual AWPA. It says wood and wood based materials used in contact with the ground, either in severe environments such as horticultural sites. 
in climates with a high potential for deterioration, I would tell you that that's uh, <laughs> a lot of rain, a lot of humidity, yep. uh, a lot like it is here in Austin or when I worked in the Pacific Northwest. In critically important components such as utility poles, building poles, permanent wood foundations, and wood used in saltwater splash zones, this category includes utility poles used in moist, temperate climates. Yeah. So when you read that definition, uh, you could kind of probably look at where you live uh, and gather that a lot of places probably would need a UC4B uh, for their structural components. Yeah, um, 100%. I mean, yeah. if you're building anywhere in uh, anything coastal, probably yeah. you're going to want that because that's saltwater splash. You know, there's potential for saltwater. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're building, I, I think that as we get into building components, and actually you mentioned this before we started the, the podcast, if you've got components of your um, house or your structure that are hard to replace, that's really a place for you to think about going up to the next level of pressure treating. So, for instance, uh, a deck that's on a uh, cliffside where you're, you know, you got posts on the edge of the cliff or that are over the cliff even that you had to go to extreme measures to get those posts there. Why bother with a lower grade of pressure treating? Let's do a higher grade. Or you've got a crawl space and it's not easy to access that crawl space. Uh, you know, you've got a one foot post in there. What one foot post do you want? The one that's barely treated or the one that's really extreme heavy duty or even extreme duty? Yep. That seems to me like a perfect example of a place that you'd want a higher duty. Yeah. And you know what's so crazy? I was a contractor for many years and even when I was a building official and I didn't know that there were so many different options mm, I didn't uh, think when I it comes to either. that. I mean, it's uh, whenever I started coming over and working for uh, Womanized, I, I said, wow, I, and, and started being a part of AWPA. I was mm -hmm. like, whoa, I didn't know that there was a whole book on pressure-treated wood, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's it's a lot of pages, 500 pages dealing with this stuff. So, And by the way, before the podcast started, I called my favorite lumber salesman and said, hey, what do you guys have in your yard? And we actually went to – uh, several places in town uh, prior to just see what they had. Nobody had anything in stock that was higher than UC4A. However, my favorite lumber salesman said, oh yeah, no problem. I get you those higher treatment levels. I just need one to two weeks. So they're definitely available. Uh, they may not be as easily available, but if you've got any kind of heads up, any contractor has two weeks to plan anything they build or they should anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, plan ahead plan on spending a little bit more although interestingly enough it's certainly not double no. uh, it's the same piece of wood which wood is uh you know more expensive these days but the tr the treatment of the wood is not crazy expensive so to get a higher treatment level definitely worth it and and in the future when i do decks i guarantee you i'm going to be looking at some of those higher treatment levels Next, let's talk, uh, or actually, let me finish up by saying, let's read the definition of extreme duty, because I'm yeah. interested in, in reading that one as well. So UC4A, general duty, that's on the shelf. UC4B, ground contact, heavy duty, we just read that. Now we're UC4C, ground contact, extreme duty. This says wood and wood-based materials used in contact with the ground, either in very severe environments or climates demonstrated to have extremely high potential for deterioration in critical structural components such as land and freshwater pilings and foundation pilings and utility poles located in semi-tropical or tropical environments. So, I mean, this is, this is your top level ground contact 
uh, inland, non-dock, non-marine. Mm-hmm. Fresh uh, water. Yeah. Fresh yeah. water based. Uh, again, I've not used it or seen it, but I think it's really cool to know that it's out there and that I could get it. Um, let's jump into UC5, which is marine use. Talk to me about this UC5 category, which is above ground contact. So you've got a lot of choices there, too. There's three choices, depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, it lists, um, I believe, a southern uh, and the southern is going to be your C, mm-hmm, UC5C, yeah. And that's due to the fact that you not only have salt water, but you also have brackish water. And brackish is a pretty tough uh, tough water to, to keep your wood uh, from wood. decaying. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's your most protective. Uh, then you've got the fi- 5A and the 5B. And again, depending on what 5 B is central mm-hmm. and 5A is northern waters. Okay, yeah. So, That's but right. it actually kind of lists in the book um, a couple of areas where you would definitely consider parts of the country that would be considered uh, under those. But like your docks, your pilings for homes built on the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, those types of things. That's what you would need that treatment for. Is that marine based? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the chemicals that you guys are using and or any other chemicals that are out there in the industry. If I understand it right, there's really kind of four main flavors of the same uh, kind of chemical that's being used by you and the other two big players in the industry. And that's, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but is it <laughs> copper azole? Azole? Azole. Azole. <laughs> uh, I was close. Copper azole. azole. Yes, yes. So copper being the main preservative, there's mm-hmm. it's dissolved copper uh, in some kind of, uh, I don't know, what what is the chemical base that dissolves that copper? Can you disclose that? Or is that a, um, yeah. That sounds like, no, it's, not so that much. That happens at the plant. All right, so sounds good. I visited a few times. I see the copper when, in big piles of uh, 3,500 pound cubes. Oh, wow. And then I see whenever it comes out. But yeah, I, I don't know a whole lot about okay. the middle part of that. Gotcha. So we've got some type of dissolved copper yep. in there. And there's a couple different flavors of that because there's also, you may have seen uh, uh, the name micro, micronized. Micronized, yes. And, and what is being micronized when they're talking about micronized? So what that process looks like is normally you have to grind up the and dissolve uh, the copper mm-hmm. uh, down to be able to make it small enough to where you can force it into the wood. Okay. Uh, so this is an extra process would act, which actually breaks it down even smaller. Ah. Uh, so in other words, it micronizes the copper. Super tiny. Exactly. And so that way it's easier for it to get further and deeper into the wood. So you don't have to have quite the same retention uh, as you do on uh, just copper azol. Um, so that that is your main differences between the two. And hey, depending on the treater, some treaters use micronized. Some treaters don't use micronized. Mi- Micronized. Some use just copper azole. Okay. There's no problem with either one. Um, micronized, you can just use a little bit less retention uh, than you can for just copper azole. Gotcha. But I, but what I liked about uh, the YouTube video that I published or that I'm getting ready to publish, but also in our conversations, uh, is like don't don't worry about the type of preservative or how much or you. Sometimes you'll see a 0.15 or 0.1 whatever. What really matters most is that UC uh, usage case. 
and if you've got a UC4A, it doesn't really matter how you got there. That means that it's general use. And that's what you want for ground contact at a minimum. But you also might think about going to UC4B, which is the heavy duty. And that's definitely what I'm going to be thinking about for my uh, future projects. Now, before we get off this topic, though, of, of what chemicals out there, mm-hmm. we've been mainly talking about residential. There is actually another available chemical uh, treatment for commercial projects. And what is that? So you do have CCA, mm-hmm. uh, which was, has been around for many, many years. Uh, that's what all of your telephone poles were and everything was up until the early 2000s. Uh, early 2000s, the EPA says, hey, you know what? We would prefer to move away from that product for residential use. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they said residential use, it means residential construction and commercial, what you would think is commercial construction if you were a commercial contractor. Uh, doesn't include things like utilities or uh, industrial sites, things of that nature um, would still be allowed or they're still allowed today to just use CCA. Gotcha. And the CCA is a more resistant uh, product? Uh, it's just been around longer. Okay. Um, and it's a great product. It works very well. Uh, it's just a different chemical makeup gotcha. um, than copper. Okay. So. Got it. Let me switch gears. I want to ask you some uh, what if questions. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Since you've been hopefully I won't get in trouble. Since you've been building for a long time, and then you started working for the manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. If I'm building a fence in my backyard and mm-hmm. I'm using all pressure treated posts, what would you use and why? If I was building a fence in my backyard, and I was putting, I would say if I lived where I live, which is in the southeast, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, we have termites big time like crazy for most and we have all kinds of termites are crazy so we would i would definitely want to probably move up to the 4b mm-hmm. um I, I would use a 4a but again that is your baseline yep it's yep. kind of like the building codes the yep. building codes say okay this is the base this is the lowest you can go yep to meet the standard so but you can go higher but you can always go higher yeah and that's kind of what i look for is i would like to be at least one step above what the bare minimum is i like that now if you're maybe in a, a northern climate that ha- doesn't have as many termite issues uh you know if it's a temporary fence you oh, know yeah. you, you'd be fine uh, with plus just... if you're above grade you know for instance like we talked about if you've got that project that has concrete piers it's those are coming out of grade two or three inches and then you've got a post base boom this is no problem go that's with right. the 4a that's right but if you're going to bury them in the dirt for years to come, uh, you might get 20, 30 years out of this, maybe longer even, but why not not take the chance and put the higher preservative yeah. in would be would be my take on that. And I will say, Matt, just <laughs> we do warranty ours for the lifetime of the ownership. So okay. sometimes um, that can be lo- a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, you might own that a long time. Especially if you installed it correctly to begin with, <laughs> like you're supposed to. Yeah, and that's obviously the big part of this, right, is just making sure that people understand the best practices and are following those. But in my mind, just because it's the it's okay to do doesn't mean that we can't go to the next better of that's whatever. Right. Uh, because you, you also may not have thought about all the cases that might happen, right? You know, the climate's changing. Maybe this area that you built in, you thought was going to be nice and dry. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've got a water table that's, uh, you know, one Mm -hmm. foot down 
that I didn't realize when I bought the property or who knows what. Uh, oh, yeah. We've got a bunch of lakefront properties here in Austin that have groundwater, you know, a foot down mm -hmm. uh, because they were built on fill in the lake. And so I use 50 foot, 50 foot steel piles uh, to put the house on top of. Mm -hmm. uh, and then anytime we dig a hole in the yard, it fills up the water. So you got to have a pump yep. going pretty much at all times to, to dig in the yard. Mm -hmm. That's pretty crazy. All right. Talk to me about above ground, you know, porch flooring, decking, yeah. things like that. That's going to be technically above grade use. Uh, but like you mentioned earlier, sometimes ground level decks actually are are not super um, uh, able to dry because they don't maybe they're not up six feet in the air where there's yeah. plenty of airflow around them. What could what would you use or what could you use for those types of projects? So if you had your handrails or your decking and it's close to the ground then you definitely want to move up to that uc4a uh, type of treatment mm -hmm. um, and you can usually readily get that um, at some uh, big box stores or uh, your lumber yard uh, usually you can get those in two by twos and mm -hmm. two by fours or whatever so but that would be the recommendation because hey you get too close you don't have that airflow and it's just not going to last because it doesn't have this uh, amount of chemical in it yeah. that it needs to last in that situation. Yep. If you get it up high, you got a nice deck. I've got a two-tier on the back of my house, and uh, my second is probably 20 feet off the ground. So there's obviously going to be plenty of airflow there. Mm -hmm. I don't have an issue. Hey, I've got it covered, screened in. Hey, use a... Use the uh, UC3B. Yeah. You know, that's that's okay. Yeah, that makes you sense. You can use it in a situation like that. Um, but, yeah, if it's going to be close to that ground or you're going to not maintain it, that's where we come into a lot of problems. Hey, people just let stuff pile up on it, um, your leaves, and then they don't uh, follow just general maintenance guidelines. That's what causes the issues. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. We are running a little bit short on time, but one thing I wanted to ask you that I'm I'm throwing at you, uh, we have I didn't prep you for this. Okay, okay. Uh, I think I saw recently that there are some manufacturers that are making engineered woods that are exterior rated. Do you know anything about that? Uh, like engineered exterior rated uh, LVLs or some version of uh, of that for deck use. Do you know anything about those? Yes. Can you tell Short me anything answer. about those? <laughs> yes, there are some products out there that are listed for um, above ground use. Mm -hmm. And they are listed for an LVL um, type uh, of And product. if you don't know what LVL is, it's kind of like a plywood header. If you think about plywood, it's got lots of plies. Yeah. Uh, usually of probably pine material. Laminated veneers. Laminated so, veneers. Yeah. LVL, laminated veneer lumber. It's got some good glue and resin in there. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It seems um, like you'd have a hard time getting your press treating in there, though. Well, there are methods um, that the industry has looked at to try to make that uh, happen. Mm -hmm. um, so there's it's it can it, it. I think that you will see in the future more of that type of product on, out there. Um, but. You know, you take a piece of plywood, and if you pressure treat a piece of plywood, it's not that bad. It's thin. Mm -hmm. um, but if you get a really thick piece of, and you're trying to force 
that amount of water because basically that's what uh, the chemical is. Is it's yeah, it's got copper in it and it's got azol in it, but the main ingredient's water. Ah. It's, you know, it's so you're starting to force all of that in. It can cause some delamination and mm-hmm. uh, problems like that. So yeah. those are some hurdles that have uh, that are being worked on right now uh, to try to overcome that. Got it. Let's finish up for uh, the last couple of minutes talking about fasteners and metals uh, in general in contact with decks. What do we need to know about fasteners, about hangers, and about uh, you know, let's say deck flashings uh, in contact with anything that's a pressurated wood? So, again, go back to the manufacturer's directions and then also what the building code says. And the building code says, hey, if you're using a piece of pressure-treated wood, it needs to be hot-dip galvanized at a minimum. Uh, You can go up from that in certain situations if you're... And up from that would be stainless. Stainless, exactly. And there's two two grades of stainless, right? Mm -hmm. 304 is the lower grade, 316 Mm -hmm. is the earth. 316, yeah. 316, not 316, sorry, 316. You're measuring. (laughs) Uh, That's the higher grade of stainless for saltwater contact. Mm -hmm. So any of your areas, Florida, any coast, Texas coast, any of those, yeah, you definitely would want to use that higher grade. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, uh, hot dip galvanized, we see sometimes people don't use the hot dipped. They use zinc coated or something. zinc coated (laughs) or I've seen common... Oh, nails driven in no. it before and yeah it's like i'm sorry that's just that's not going to work uh-huh. yes there is some uh, corrosive properties there um not as bad as they used to be years ago uh, but they're still it's two dissimilar metals and uh, one of the good things about the hot dip galvanized is is it's it has a sacrificial layer um so it's gonna some people talk about the uh, electrical it causes an uh, anode and all of that great stuff. And yes, it could do that. But if it does do that, you've got the sacrificial piece there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But hot dip galvanized stainless steel. If you got flashing, um, I know years and years we used, hey, whatever was out there on the job site. You just take the roll the roofer finished with, and he's got a piece of aluminum rolled up, and you go over there and stick it on for your deck flashing. Yeah, that's just not a good idea. That's going to really corrode quickly, isn't it? Yes, it it is. There are products that you can use. You can use aluminum, uh, but it has to be a little bit of a better grade of aluminum, um, probably a little thicker and a better grade to use for that application. Okay. Um, And again, hey, you can always put some type of weather barrier uh, in between it, uh, which to me is a best practice. Uh, you want to separate having any type of water intrusion at that point because that's usually what happens with deck failures um, is, hey, you had some water intrusion because you didn't flash it correctly and water got behind the band and you rot out the band board on the outside of the house and oh, next yeah. thing you know the deck's laying over here on the ground it's, so it gets real bad when that rot happens back there there's quick. certainly no drying that happens Mm-mm. that's for sure man so much good information josh i really appreciate you taking the time to podcast sure, sure. with me today how can people learn more about uh womanized and maybe have access to some of these awesome documents that you guys have yeah our uh team their marketing team has done a great job um coming up with these uh, easy to use documents and uh, womanized wood 
com. If you go there, uh, you'll be able to get any of those documents. Um, and not only is it for pressure treated wood, there's other um, links to fire retardant treated wood and other products there too. Very cool. And just to uh, clarify, it's W O L, just one L, wall manize, not wool like your lamb's wool. Uh, Woolman, M A N I Z E D, wood.com. Josh, really appreciate you coming in. Big thanks to uh, Bullmanize for sponsoring uh, our YouTube video that you will see coming out very shortly. But this longer extended version I know is really going to be helpful for contractors out there. Uh, I know I learned a lot about understanding ground contact and the different options of ground contact and really what it means and when you need to go up to marine use as well. Hopefully you guys learned something on the podcast. Guys, if you're not currently a subscriber, This podcast comes out every single Friday on all the major uh, locations on iTunes and iHeartRadio and all those things. So hit that, uh, I guess it's the subscribe button, right? I'm so used to saying that on YouTube. I don't even know what to say besides the subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on The Build Show. 